Welcome to Set 3247, and we are happy to have you along for this journey through the message. Today, we are going to start out in Matthew. Get ready for a vineyard drama like no other, where wicked tenants, foolish decisions, and surprising twists reveal the importance of bearing good fruit. Next, we're going to stop over in Romans, join Paul in his passionate letter to the Romans as he exposes the twists and turns of human behavior, showcasing how God's righteousness shines amidst a world of chaos and confusion. Then we're going to rewind back to Psalm 49, take a humorous, thought-provoking stroll with the psalmist through the world of wealth and wisdom, where even death can't buy you happiness, but trusting in God can. And we're going to end the journey in numbers. It's time to dive into the census craze once again, as God assigns specific roles, Levitical duties, and even Ikea-like assembly instructions for the tabernacle to keep the camp running smoothly. So buckle up and let's begin. Welcome to A Journey Through the Message. My name is Robert. And my name is Heidi. Hi, babe. Hi, how oh, are you? I am good. Happy whatever day it is in <laughs> your world today. I, <laughs> quite frankly, I'm not even sure what day it is. So. Oh, friends, how are you doing today? This is just this check-in where we want to see how are you doing? Do you need prayer? Do you need maybe just somebody to chat about a situation that you're going through? Drop it down in the comments or reach out to us on private messenger. We would love to be able to walk alongside you through whatever you're going through. We absolutely would. Prayer is one of those powerful things and a helpful thing. And um, I'm going to drop my own right here. Mm. A good friend of mine has to say farewell um, to this earthly side of life with her with her husband today as he is sent home to heaven today it's a it's a tough day over there and i would uh, appreciate ongoing prayers no matter when you're hearing this just just say a prayer of um over grace and mercy and peace over a family that's really hurting today yeah, yeah for sure We've had a busy week as well. We had some friends of ours get married this week, and we were a big part of the wedding. Had a lot of fun with that. We sure did. It turned out absolutely beautiful. It was a beautiful summer day here in Michigan, and we just had so much fun celebrating David and Elizabeth. It was such a beautiful setting out there, mm-hmm. and uh, the weather was perfect. Everything was just perfect for them, and I was so happy to be a part of that with them. It was an honor. And David and Elizabeth, when you hear this, I wish you nothing but a lifetime of love together and may it only get better from here on out. Mm, amen. And that's uh, so important. It doesn't get better all by itself. It does take some intentionality, right? Some waking up and choosing to, how can I serve my spouse today? How can I um, how can I make things a little better in our relationship today? How can I clean up my side of the street? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that are so willing to grab that uh, broom and dustpan and rush on over to someone else's side of the street while they're walking over top of their own mess. So I guess the little word of the day is just tidy up your own side of the street and worry about things over there. The rest will be just fine, I promise. 
I think that's great advice, my wife. Thank you. Absolutely. The Crossroads Prayer Journal that I'm looking at today is talking about students who don't have a church home and praying for them. So sadly, many people in prison have been rejected or forgotten by their church communities. Pray with us that the church would grab hold of our vision to answer God's call to remember people who are incarcerated by cultivating those Christ-centered relationships through which God transforms lives, prisons, and churches throughout the world. Pray that local churches will embrace the families of those in prison and welcome people back to their communities after they are released from prison. It always strikes me how some churches try so hard to keep people out of their doors. Oh, so sad. I was actually going to say that it does actually tie in with the you know, cleaning up your side of the street. That includes churches. Churches have some cleanup to do and you reading that immediately struck me as something that churches really in general have to do a lot better at tidying up their side of the street. We are called to minister to and to love them also. It's been a learning experience for me over the past, mm. you know, couple of years about how difficult it is for our returning citizens when they are getting out of prisons and jail and trying to reintegrate they've already paid their debt to society mm-hmm. but we as a society in general tend to make them pay additional debts whether it's through difficulty finding housing or jobs or any of that type of stuff which makes it nearly impossible just to live in general but churches should never be a hindrance or a stumbling block to them either in closing doors to them or almost even worse in my book making them kind of a special feature in church making sure that people know that Mm. they're there that you know like the whole well you're all going to sit together in this row or we need to make sure people know that you're here but we've got all the guys you know that type of thing right we need to do a much better job loving like Jesus when it comes to everybody and stop closing doors to people that don't look like the polished Christians that have been there for years. Mm -hmm. You need to welcome the infant Christians into your church and love them. So I'm going to go right into prayer here. Father God, open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes to those who are coming in and maybe seeking a different way of life, but they don't know exactly what that looks like. Allow us the room to just show them that they are welcome where we are at and to show them your love, your grace, your mercy that you have extended to us. Allow then us to show them that same grace, that same love, and that same mercy so that through those actions, they begin to see you because that's what it all boils down to is leading people so that they can see you and then allowing them the space to walk that journey. It's not up to us to fix people and make them look a certain way and, you know, make sure that they got the the right clothes on to come to church. You're more concerned with where their heart is. And Father, I pray it's an extra measure of love around Dottie today. 
just hold her close and hold her tight in these hardest of times and to my friend Dave. Yes, Lord. Your heart was in the right place with God and he gets to go fully home to be with you today and God, you know how much I appreciated those spiritual talks that he and I had and there's a special loss that's going to happen in the world today, but even in this, you are good and I just pray that you cover everybody affected by the loss of Dave with just an extra measure of grace and love today, Father. It's it's going to be a tough one. We ask this all in your holy name and very, very humbly. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So we are going to be starting out today talking about some rebellious tenants. Oh, yes, we are. That's right. We're in Matthew. We're reading out of Matthew chapter 21, verse 33 to 46. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. If this is your 52nd time joining us, we thank you. One free way that you can support our podcast as we're bringing the gospel in just a little different way to some people is by hitting that like button, maybe commenting Or leaving a review for the podcast does wonders for us. And those are all free ways that you can support us. And we appreciate any time that you spend on any of that. We sure do. So today we're reading Matthew 21, 33 to 46. And Heidi is going to be taking over. All right, here we go. It's titled The Story of the Greedy Farmhands. Here's another story. Listen closely. There was once a man, a wealthy farmer, who planted a vineyard. He fenced it, dug a wine press, put up a watchtower, then turned it over to the farmhands and went off on a trip. When it was time to harvest the grapes, he sent his servants back to collect his profits. The farmhands grabbed the first servant and beat him up. The next one, they murdered. They threw stones at the third, but he got away. The owner tried again, sending more servants, and they got the same treatment. The owner was at the end of his rope. He decided to send his son. Surely, he thought, they will respect my son. But when the farmhands saw the son arrived, they rubbed their hands in greed. This is the heir. Let's kill him and have it all for ourselves. They grabbed him, threw him out, and killed him. Now, when the owner of the vineyard arrives home from his trip, what do you think he will do to the farmhands? He'll kill them. A rotten bunch and good riddance, they answered. Then he'll assign the vineyard to farmhands who will hand over the profits when it's time. Jesus said, right, and you can read it for yourselves in your Bibles. The stone the masons threw out is now the cornerstone. This is God's work. We rub our eyes and we can hardly believe it. This is the way it is with you. God's kingdom will be taken back from you and handed over to a people who will live out a kingdom life. Whoever stumbles on this stone gets shattered. Whoever this stone falls on gets smashed. When the religious leaders heard this story, they knew it was aimed at them. They wanted to arrest Jesus and put him in jail, but... Intimidated by public opinion, they held back. Most people held him to be a prophet of God. Hmm. And Eugene Peterson has a really good pause here uh, related to that little section, actually, and it's called 
the rebellious tenants. Jesus' best sermons were stories. A story in Matthew 21 was one of his most effective. We know that because of what happened at the end. Some of the people who heard him tell the story tried to arrest him. Perceiving that Jesus was speaking about them, they got the point of the story as it dealt them a painful jab. They saw themselves as rebellious tenants, as stewards who had tried for a thousand years to be owners. For generations, they used every means at hand to silence the voice of the servants God sent to them, and they were going to do the same thing to Jesus. That's when they tried to arrest him. Jesus' story has amazingly relevant undertones for our day, when our standard of living is so high, our ability to possess is so well developed, and our claims to ownership are so conscious. And yet, all the while, we're burdened with anxiety, guilt, emptiness, and boredom. Despite our playing the role of wicked tenants in the vineyard, God hasn't left us alone. Despite our sin, God is still there in love and forgiveness, exercising His gracious rule over our lives. If you refuse to acknowledge the ownership of God and your position as a steward of life, there will be no meaning or beauty or fullness in anything that you do. Even the marvelous wonders of material things, material that's created by God, won't give you happiness. You'll descend into a downward spiral of neurotic anxiety, unhappy pleasure-seeking, for your constant denial of God's central place won't get rid of Him. God wants us to enjoy all that He has given us, but we can't do it unless we enjoy Him at the center. Every joy radiates from that central joy. And it's true, I have seen and heard people say to us at times, like even in the midst of some things or even after hearing pieces of our story, they return back to the simple fact that we carry an air of joy with us wherever we go. We do. It's, I'm not saying it was easy to get to this point, but once you get there, it becomes easy to live a joy-filled life. The process is hard, but when you arrive and you grasp the understanding of what that truly means, it becomes second nature. And it is, without a doubt, the most joyful way of living life I've ever experienced. So our question to you today is, are you living a joy-filled life? Has God stepped in in that little central place in your life and given you that little burst of joy? I sure hope so. I hope so too. And next we're picking up in Romans. I'll be reading out of Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 32. This one is titled Ignoring God Leads to a Downward Spiral. I think I've been on that spiral a few times. Oh, it's not a fun ride. That spiral mm-hmm. never ends well. It's it's very akin to a toilet. It with an even worse ending. <laughs> oh, here we go. Verse 18. But God's angry displeasure erupts as acts of human mistrust and wrongdoing and lying accumulate. As people try to put a shroud over truth, 
But the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of his divine being. So nobody has a good excuse. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands for cheap figurines that you can buy at any roadside stand. So God said, in effect, if that's what you want, that's what you get. It wasn't long before they were living in a pig pen, smeared with filth, filthy inside and out. And all of this because they traded the true God for a fake God. And they worshipped the God that they made instead of the God who made them. The God we bless, the God who blesses us. Oh, yes. Worse followed. Refusing to know God, they soon didn't know how to be human either. Women didn't know how to be women. Men didn't know how to be men. Sexually confused, they abused and defiled one another. Women with women, men with men. All lust, no love. And then they paid for it. Oh, how they paid for it. Emptied of God and love, godless and loveless wretches. Since they didn't bother to acknowledge God, God quit bothering them and let them run loose. And then all hell broke loose. Rampant evil, grabbing and grasping, vicious backstabbing. They made life hell on earth with their envy, wanton killing, bickering, cheating. Look at them. Mean-spirited, venomous, fork-tongued, god-bashers, bullies swaggerers, insufferable windbags. They keep inventing new ways of wrecking lives. They ditch their parents when they get in the way. Stupid, slimy, cruel, cold-blooded. And it's not as if they don't know better. They know perfectly well that they're spitting in God's face. And they don't care. Worse, they hand out prizes to those who do the worst things best. And wow, what a way to end mm. chapter one. Mm -hmm. There's a quick little pause here that says uh, about this exact little section. It says, the solution to sin. Sin isn't a skeleton in the closet that we surround with restrictions to keep it in its place. It's a defective relationship with God. If we aren't convinced of the nature of that defect in our lives, it's unlikely that we'll accept the remedy for that defect. The failure to treat God as God, to honor Him and thank Him, is sin with a capital S, from which all lowercase sins ultimately proceed. If we, having read Paul's letters, were to still think that sin is sensuality or vice or crudeness or any of the bad things that we do, we would have missed his point completely. Paul wants us to understand that all those things are derivative. Sin, he asserts, is that original rebellion against God, that basic act of leaving him. 
that foundational failure to treat him as the Almighty. This disaffection from God called sin is humanity's despair. But when Paul writes of it, it's anything but despair. For by tracing our sins to their source, he prepares us for the solution. And that solution has nothing to do with self-help and everything to do with a savior. I loved that. That was a good one. Eugene Peterson always has just a little nugget of wisdom in those pauses. I love that. Yeah. No nitpicking and picking out this sin and that sin and and all of that. He got right to the nitty gritty what it actually is and just a denial of God's Godship, his his very being is in fact what it is. It don't waste your time designating, well, that person is so much more of a sinner than I am, and that particular sin is like the worst of the worst, and we need to really stop doing that. I was reminded of somebody had asked me once recently here about addiction and you know the using of you know drugs or alcohol and that sort of thing and i remember talking to him about whatever that substance was that during that addiction they were making that the lord of their life it yeah. controlled every aspect of what they were doing mm-hmm. how they were thinking the people that they were hanging out with all of the events that they were doing all led back to that addiction and making that the Lord of their life. Just showing up to church on Sunday, even in the midst of that addiction, is nothing more than checking a box. And Mm. unfortunately, that's rejected by God. God doesn't take a check box. Oof, he doesn't? He's so much more worried about, or not even worried. He's just so much more concerned with the status of your heart. Yeah in the path that you're on and anytime you have an imbalance like that with an addiction or with a let's it could be uh an addiction or something with a relationship in you know just the codependency part or Mm -hmm. could be overworking could be a lot of things there's so many things but it's making whatever that is the lord in your life where everything revolves around that and not god and that's where things start to get imbalanced. Oh, I'm convicted every day to ask myself, Heidi, what's the most important thing in your life today? Mm. And what would my answer be? If it's not God, I've answered it wrongly. So to our listeners, what's the most important thing for you today? Mm. Is there an imbalance that you're currently struggling through? Is there an imbalance that maybe you've felt the little whispers from God, like saying, hey, you're a little imbalanced in that area. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard those same whispers. And even now today, you know, I'm 13 years sober, uh, but there's other areas in my life that God works on me on. And I'm glad that he does because I don't feel there's any room the closer I get to God for some things that may have been in my life. And it's him putting things in perspective and in their place. Yeah. Yep.
And now we're going to be rewinding back to Psalm 49. Heidi is going to be taking it away here. All right, here we go. I'm always so happy when I get to read the Psalms. They are speaking to me in a way I they never have before. It's been mm. really good. I love how the message version just breaks it down a little bit and makes some of the Psalms that we may have heard hundreds of times. Yeah, just they, gives it a different... Yeah, they come to life mm-hmm. in a easy to understand way. Thank so you, enjoy. Eugene. All right, Psalm 49. Listen, everyone, listen. Earth dwellers, don't miss this. All you haves and have nots, all together now, listen. I set plain spoken wisdom before you, my heart seasoned understandings of life. I fine tuned my ear to the sayings of the wise. I solve life's riddle with the help of a harp. So why should I fear in bad times, hemmed in by enemy malice, shoved around by bullies, demeaned by the arrogant rich? Really? There's no such thing as self-rescue, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. The cost of rescue is beyond our means, and even then it doesn't guarantee life forever or insurance against the black hole. Anyone can see that the brightest and best die, wiped out right along with fools and idiots. They leave all their prowess behind and move into their new home, the coffin. The cemetery, their permanent address. Mm -hmm. And to think they named counties after themselves. We aren't immortal. We don't last long. Like our dogs, we age and weaken and die. This is what happens to those who live for the moment, who only look out for themselves. Death herds them like sheep straight to hell. They disappear down the gullet of the grave, and they waste away to nothing. Nothing left but a marker in a cemetery. But me? God snatches me from the clutch of death. He reaches down and grabs me. Mm-hmm. So don't be impressed with those who get rich and pile up fame and fortune. They can't take it with them. Fame and fortune all get left behind. Just when they think they've arrived and folks praise them because they've made good, they enter the family burial plot where they'll never see sunshine again. We aren't immortal. We don't last long. Like our dogs, we age and weaken. And we die. I know that we didn't read that psalm until today for a reason. (laughs) And what a good reminder that... This life is so temporary. It is so temporary. And the things that we put so much weight and importance on at the end of the day, it doesn't you can't take any of that with you Mm-mm. it doesn't matter it what matters is life how you're living it who you're living it for the impact that you're making on people while you're here and this life is short what door are you walking through when you draw that last breath which one there's only two your friend dave wasn't even 60 years old from I mean I don't know exactly how old he was but you know not even 60 and um, we're not guaranteed 70 
80, 90. It's never guaranteed. So what are you doing with your moments right now? Make them count. Make the moments count. And now I'll be ending the day in numbers, and we're reading out of numbers chapters three and four. We're going to dive in and uh, dust off our name skills again here. Last, uh, if you were here for numbers chapter one and two, I appreciate you showing me a little grace, but wow, there were some names. I mean, I think on a few of them, we had five syllables. I I just have to, I have to laugh right now because... What I need more than anything right now is a good dose of light reading. (laughs) Well, buckle up for this light reading of Numbers chapter 3 and 4. We're going to power through and see what Oh, goodness. Thank you, God, for bringing me laughter. So, (laughs) some light reading with Robert. Here we go. We're in Numbers chapter 3, and this one's titled The Levites. This is the family tree of Aaron and Moses at the time that God spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. The names of the sons of Aaron, Nadab the firstborn, Abihu, Eleazar, Ithamar, anointed priests ordained to serve as priests. But Nadab and Abihu fell dead in the presence of God when they offered unauthorized sacrifice to him in the wilderness of Sinai. They left no sons. And so only Eleazar and Ithamar served as priests during the lifetime of their father Aaron. God spoke to Moses. He said, bring forward the tribe of Levi and present them to Aaron so they can help him. They shall work for him and the whole congregation at the tent of meeting by doing the work of the dwelling. Their job is to be responsible for all the furnishings of the dwelling, ministering to the affairs of the dwelling as the people of Israel come to perform their duties. Turn the Levites over to Aaron and his sons. They are the ones assigned to work full-time for him. Appoint Aaron and his sons to minister as priests. Anyone else who tries to elbow his way in will be put to death. God spoke to Moses. I have taken the Levites from among the people of Israel as a stand-in for every Israelite mother's firstborn son. The Levites belong to me. All the firstborn are mine. When I killed all the firstborn in Egypt, I consecrated for my own use every firstborn in Israel, whether human or animal. They belong to me. I am God. God spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. Count the Levites by their ancestral families and clans. Count every male a month old and older. Moses counted them just as he was instructed by the mouth of God. These are the names of the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. These are the names of the Gershonite clans, Libni and Shimei. The sons of Kohath by clan were Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. The sons of Merari by clan were Mali and Mushi. These are the clans of Levi, family by family. Gershon was ancestor to the clans of the Libnites and Shimeites, known as the Gershonite clans. All the males who were one month old and older numbered 7,500. The Gershonite clans camped on the west behind the dwelling, 
led by Ilyasaph, son of Lael. At the tent of meeting, the Gershonites were in charge of maintaining the dwelling and its tent, its coverings, the screen at the entrance to the tent of meeting, the hangings of the courtyard, the screen at the entrance to the courtyard that surrounded the dwelling and altar, and the cords, in short, everything having to do with these things. Kohath was ancestor to the clans of the Amorites, Isharites, Hebronites, and Uzalites. These were known as the Kohathite clans. <laughs> All the males who were one month and older numbered 8,600. The Kohathites were in charge of the sanctuary. The Kohathite clans camped on the south side of the dwelling, led by Alessaphan, son of Uziel. Wowzer. <laughs> they were in charge of caring for the chest, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the articles of the sanctuary used in worship, and the screen, everything having to do with these things. Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, supervised the leaders of the Levites and those in charge of the sanctuary. Merari was ancestor to the clans of the Malites and the Mushites, known as the Merarite clans. The males who were one month old and older, numbered 6,200. They were led by Zuriel, son of Abihel, and camped on the north side of the dwelling. The Merarites were in charge of the frames of the dwelling, its crossbars, posts, bases, and all of its equipment, everything having to do with these things, as well as the posts to the surrounding courtyard with their bases, tent pegs, and cords. Moses and Aaron and his sons camped to the east of the dwelling toward the rising sun, in front of the tent of meeting. They were in charge of maintaining the sanctuary for the people of Israel and the rituals of worship. Anyone else who tried to perform these duties was to be put to death. The sum total of Levites counted at God's command by Moses and Aaron, clan by clan, all the males one month and older, numbered 22,000. God spoke to Moses. Count all the firstborn males of the people of Israel who are one month and older. List their names. Then set apart for me the Levites. Remember, I am God. In place of all the firstborn among the people of Israel, also the livestock of the Levites in place of their livestock, I am God. So, just as God commanded him, Moses counted all the firstborn of the people of Israel. The total of firstborn males, one month and older, listed by name, numbered 22,273. Again, God spoke to Moses. He said, Take the Levites in place of all the firstborn of Israel, and the livestock of the Levites in place of their livestock. The Levites are mine. I am God. Redeem the 273 firstborn Israelites who exceed the number of Levites by collecting five shekels for each one, using the sanctuary shekel, the shekel weighing 20 giras, and then give that money to Aaron and his sons for the redemption of the excess number of Israelites. So Moses collected the redemption money from those who exceeded the number redeemed by the Levites. From the 273 firstborn Israelites, he collected silver weighing at 1,365 shekels, according to the sanctuary shekel. Moses turned over the redemption money to Aaron and his sons as he was commanded by the word of God. Question here. 
Why do you think God saw to it that numbering of the Israelites was included in sacred scripture? And what sticks with you from reading Numbers chapter 1 through 3 so far? Oh, my take on this, and probably wrong, and that's okay. This numbering, I think, shows a faithfulness of God for his people. I mean, there's Mm. that many people that still held to that belief and that faith in God. This is how many of them there were. And just that careful recording and accounting and its historical proof also. Um, Like you can see these records that get found in, you know, artifacts and that type of stuff. So, but my initial thought was, what a beautiful testimony to God's grace and blessing on these people. They've been going through the wilderness for 40 years and their numbers stayed strong. They didn't die off. God protected them and and grew them into a mighty, mighty nation. And maybe I'm way wrong, but that's how I... Because, I mean, we're talking about 40-some thousand kids here. And these are only boys. Only boys. A month and And only firstborn. Yes. So these were just firstborn boys, and we're talking 40-some thousand. Yes. That's a large amount because let's say they had two or three or four kids, and then you got girls in there too. Mm -hmm. God blessed them and caused them to grow and multiply in number. Mm. And now I'll be ending the day here with Numbers chapter 4. Buckle up and let's get ready to talk about the duties of the Kohathites. Yes, I've been, that kept me up last night. I I, know. I just couldn't get the answer to that. The Kohathites, the Gershonites, and lastly, the Mirrorites. That's right. We're iting all over the place. Yeah, those are my three most favorite bands. They're good stuff. All right, here we go. Numbers chapter 4. God spoke to Moses and Aaron. He said, number the Kohathite line of Levites by clan and family. Count all the men from 30 to 50 years of age, all who enter the ministry to work in the tent of meeting. This is the assigned work of the Kohathites in the tent of meeting, care of the most holy things. When the camp is ready to set out, Aaron and his sons are to go in and take down the covering curtain and cover the chest of testimony with it. Then they are to cover this with a dolphin skin, spread a solid blue cloth on top, and insert the poles. Then they are to spread a blue cloth on the table of the presence and set the table with plates, incense dishes, bowls, and jugs for drink offerings. The bread that is always there stays on the table. They are to cover these with a scarlet cloth and on top of that spread the dolphin skin and insert the poles. They are to use a blue cloth to cover the light-giving lampstand and the lamps, snuffers, trays, and the oil jars that go with it. Then they are to wrap it all in a covering of dolphin skin and place it on a carrying frame. They are to spread a blue cloth over the gold altar and then cover it with dolphin skins and place it on a carrying frame. They are to take all the articles used in ministering in the sanctuary, wrap them in a blue cloth, and then cover them with dolphin skins and then place them on a carrying frame. They are to remove the ashes from the altar and spread a purple cloth over it. They are to place on it all the articles used in ministering at the altar, fire pans, forks, shovels, bowls, everything used at the altar. Place them on the altar, cover it with dolphin skins, 
and insert the poles. When Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy furnishings and all of the holy articles and the camp is ready to set out, the Kohathites are to come and do the carrying. But they must not touch the holy things or they will die. The Kohathites are in charge of carrying all the things that are in the tent of the meeting. Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, is to be in charge of the oil for the light, the fragrant incense, the regular grain offering, and the anointing oil. He is to be in charge of the entire dwelling and everything in it, including its holy furnishings and articles. God spoke to Moses and Aaron, Don't let the tribal families of the Kohathites be destroyed from among the Levites. Protect them so that they will live and not die when they come near the most holy things. To protect them, Aaron and his sons are to precede them into the sanctuary and then assign each man his task and what he is to carry. But the Kohathites themselves must not go in to look at the holy things, not even glance at them, or they will die. Duties of the Gershonites God spoke to Moses, Number the Gershonites by tribes according to their ancestral families. Count all the men from 30 to 50 years of age who enter the ministry of work in the tent of meeting. The Gershonites by family and clan will serve by carrying heavy loads, the curtains of the sanctuary of the tent of meeting, the covering of the tent, and the outer covering of dolphin skins, the screens for the entrance to the tent, the cords, and all of the equipment used in its ministries. The Gershonites have the job of doing the work connected with these things. All their work of lifting and carrying and moving is to be done under the supervision of Aaron and his sons. Assign them specifically what they are to carry. This is the work of the Gershonite clan at the tent of meeting. Ithamar, son of Aaron, the priest, is to supervise their work. And then duties of the Mirrorites. Number the Merorites by their ancestral families. Count the men from 30 to 50 years of age who enter the ministry of work at the tent of meeting. This is their assigned duty as they go to work at the tent of meeting. To carry the frames of the dwelling, its crossbars, its posts, the bases, as well as the posts surrounding the courtyard with their bases. Tent pegs, cords, and all of the equipment related to their use. Assign to each man exactly what he is to carry. This is the ministry of the Mirrorite clans as they work at the tent of meeting under the supervision of Ithamar, son of Aaron, the priest. Moses, Aaron, and the leaders of the congregation counted the Kohathites by clan and family. All the men from 30 to 50 years of age who came to serve in the work in the tent of meeting, counted by clans, were 2,750. This was the total from the Kohathite clans who served in the tent of meeting. Moses and Aaron counted them just as God had commanded through Moses. The Gershonites were counted by clan and family. All the men from 30 to 50 years of age who came to serve in the work in the tent of meeting, counted by clan and family, were 2,630. This was the total from the Gershonite clans who served in the tent of meeting. Moses and Aaron counted them just as God had commanded. The Mirrorites were counted by clan and family. All the men from 30 to 50 years of age who came to serve in the work in the tent of meeting, counted by clan, were 3,200. 
This was the total from the Mirrorite clans. Moses and Aaron counted them just as God had commanded through Moses. So Moses and Aaron and the leaders of Israel counted all the Levites by clan and family. All of the men from 30 to 50 years of age who came to do the work of serving and carrying the tent of meeting numbered 8,580. At God's command through Moses, each man was assigned to his work and told what to carry. And that's the story of their numbering, as God had commanded Moses. And that, friends, is the end of Numbers chapter 4 in our reading today. Well done with all the ites. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, we had a little case of itis right there. We did, but you did very well. I powered through it. And friends, sometimes you just have to power through some things in life. I mean, mm. you can't get too hung up on things looking exactly perfect. I know I'm uh, my own worst enemy <laughs> at times with that. So I'm preaching to really myself here and just allowing other people to hear it. So, <laughs> but I really, this is a reminder to, you know, when you're doing something, just sometimes you got to power through it and it doesn't have to be exactly perfect to be a blessing to someone. You are speaking the truth, love. <laughs> Oh, friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. What an interesting ride this reading has been, just all the range of emotions. But at the end of it, once again, it's been just another good time of reading and learning and taking in what it is that God is saying to us. I wonder, like with these guys going to carry all this stuff, I mean... This is some pretty heavy stuff. Like you can't even look at what some of the things are and you're in charge of like carrying it. I would be so scared to like side eye something like don't look you know, at it. Don't I know. Touch it. Like what if I side eye it though? Like, you know, <laughs> you just kind of, you know, at the side of your eye. I mean, well, that's why it's covered. Oh man. It's that, covered. It would have been a don't stressful, it, it would have been a stressful job though, but sure. I can see where it would have been an immense honor for your clan to be chosen to be part of moving that. I mean, this is... Oh, you're this moving is, God's dwelling. Yes. it's the It was the only place where God dwelled at that time. Yeah. That's the importance of it. And that's why there were so many rules about it. God didn't exist in buildings all over the world at that time. He only dwelled in the temple. Hmm. Jesus hadn't come yet. I think sometimes we forget about that and we think... Yeah, we just think that things were like they are now. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's hard for us to wrap our minds around some of the rituals and some of the the way things that were done, you know, three, four, five, six thousand years ago. Right. Things yeah. looked very different. Very, very different. But it's fascinating to read this and get a better understanding of what it was like because these are our forefathers. These are the ones who went before and it's remarkable to me how God has cared for us from Adam and Eve through us today, but the changes that have happened because of Jesus. Mm. And on that note, friends, we appreciate you hanging out with us on this journey through the message. If this is your first time hearing the Message Version Bible, I hope you stick around and check it out. It's just a paraphrase of the Bible written a little different way, and it's meant to be conversational mm -hmm. and just 
really give a little different light, shed a little different light on some of the passages you may or may not have heard before and get your mind to think about them maybe in a little different way. Yes, all the truths of the Bible written in a way that makes it easy for us in in our culture and in our context to have maybe a better understanding. And I am thrilled to be reading through the message version. So if you have any questions about today, or if you want to answer the questions that we have coming up at the end of this broadcast, join the Facebook group or put your answers down in the comment section. We'd be more than happy to see what you have to say about some of the questions we had from today. And on that note, we are going to be closing down today. Thank you, friends, for sticking with us on this journey through the message today. It's been a delight. And Heidi, yes. we're keeping you in some prayer today with, <laughs> with your situation and just uh, your friends and uh, just hoping for God to be at the center somehow of all of this. And and even though there is a loss, I, I hope that somebody sees God. Yeah through what he lived and how he lived and uh, the impact that he made on people. Yeah, but the loss is only earthly because the joy that Dave will experience is Mm. beyond comprehension. And there is joy in that. I know how he felt about his God. Yeah. I know that. And that is such a piece. The tears are for the ones here. Sure on earth and in that but the same god who spoke to moses is here for us in speaking to us and loving us even now through this he knows he knows our hurt and we'll be all right so friends enjoy the rest of your day thanks again for joining with us today and just giving us a little sliver of your time that means a lot to us and we will see you next week on this journey through the message bye And now I've got the something to think about. That's right. We have one question from each of the passages that we read from today. Number one, we have from Matthew, what fruits are we producing in our lives? Are we faithfully stewarding the vineyard that God has entrusted to us? So what fruits are you producing in your life? Next, we have the question for Romans. How can we recognize and address the ways in which we suppress the truth about God? So how can you recognize and address the ways that you suppress the truth about God and maybe the truth about what he's doing in in your life? In Psalm, we have how can we cultivate a perspective that values eternal treasures over earthly wealth? So how can you start looking to things that are above instead of right here in front of you? Because these things in front of you, you can't take one of them with you. And then we're going to end the day in numbers. So we have the question from those two chapters there. What can we learn from the organization and roles that are assigned to the Levites? So what can we learn about that organization? I think we serve a God who likes order in things. So... That's all we have for today. Friends, have a great week. I wish you nothing but the best. And if you need prayer, drop it down in the comments or hit me up on private messenger. We'd be happy to pray with you. Have a great day.